Well, we all learn differently. We all have uh, different learning styles, ways we take in information, way we, we process them. And uh, some of us are visual learners. We, we learn with our eyes. We prefer pictures and images. Some of us are verbal learners. That is, we learn with language. We, we learn, we prefer speech, and we prefer writing. Some of us are auditory musical learners. We, we learn with music and, and memorization. Uh, we prefer sound and music and rhymes to learn. Some of us are, are physical learners. That is, we, we learn with our bodies. We're very hands-on. Um, we like to use our hands to do things rather than to be shown things. Uh, some of us are logical learners. That is, we, we learn with our, our mind, and we prefer logic and reasoning systems to try to understand the world around us. And some of us are social learners. That is, we learn from other people. Uh, we prefer to have others teach us personally, uh, like a, a one-on-one sort of thing. Uh, some of us are solitary learners. That's, that's why we, we learn when we're alone, and we prefer books and solitude and, and time thinking through for ourselves Now, it's not that any of us have one of these learning styles because we all learn in different ways. Just some are are more dominant than others. Um, The combination oftentimes of of several that that, that come out. Um, You want someone to show you and then you want to try it. That's like a social one who's uh, physical in, in nature. You want to see a video and reinforce what you learn with a book, right? Just, just let someone else say it, and then I'm, I'm going to go and study it myself. Or you want someone to tell you, and, and you explain the logic, and then, and then I'll, I'll understand. And that's why when teaching others, it's really helpful when you're trying to get your point across to get it across from different angles and, and different ways by, by telling and showing and uh, giving time and, and opportunities for practice what you're trying to teach and this is exactly what we see in our text this morning. Last week, Paul was making a point. He made it twice. And this week, he makes the same point a third time, but he just pulls out an, an illustration to make it clear instead. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. So we've been working through Romans. We're right here, Romans 11. Uh, our, our text this morning is verses 16 to 24. If you didn't bring a Bible, the Pew Bible, it's page 947. I really encourage you to follow along. My message will make most sense that way as everything just right comes here from the text. Before I read these verses, however, verses 16 to 24, I want us to to back up because I want to show you what Paul has been saying. And and I want to show you how he said it and how he repeated it. And then I'll show you how it's the, the same thing that Paul repeats a third time in our text, but using more of an illustration. So let's begin in verse 11. Romans 11, verse 11. So I ask, Paul writes, did they, that is Israel, did Israel stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion be? The question here is all of Romans 9 through 11 is all about the unbelief of Israel. They rejected their Messiah. And the question is, is there rejection once for all? In other words, has God rejected them? If they, if they rejected his Messiah, has God done with them? Right? Do they stumble, they might fall. They might stumble, they might not ever return again is the idea. And Paul says, absolutely not. May it never be. That's what he means by, by no means. 
And he continues by showing how their unbelief of the Jews fits into God's perfect plan to extend the gospel to the world. Let me show you this by three words. We have the word stumble, we have the word salvation, and we have the word riches. The Jews stumbled, and in their stumbling, the gospel then went to the Gentiles. It went to the world, and that brought riches to the world. And Paul argues there at the end of verse 12 that if the, the riches to the Gentiles was great... How much more when Israel comes back will their riches be? Stumble, salvation, and super riches is what you might, might put there. It's a logic. The Jews didn't believe, but their unbelief was the means through which salvation was extended to the Gentiles, which is good for them, but it's going to be really good for the Jews when they come back. It's the exact same thing he says in uh, verses 13 to 15. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, in order that somehow I make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Or as I like to say, the resurrection. And again, I want to point out these, these three words. There's rejection and there's reconciliation. And then there's resurrection. The Jews rejected their Messiah. But their rejection was the means through which the Gentiles would be reconciled. Which is good for the Gentiles. But it will be even better when Israel comes and accepts their Messiah. It will mean life from the dead. It will mean resurrection. To put it in graphical form, and I'm trying to help you visual audio learners as well here this morning. Put it in graphical form. You see the Jews stumbled The Gentiles, therefore, received the salvation, and then the riches go to the Gentiles and eventually will be to all. Or, in 11 through 13, the the Jews rejected their Messiah. Then they were reconciled to God, and then eventually that will mean resurrection from the dead. This This is God's perfect plan. This didn't catch him off guard. That's the idea of Romans 9 through 11. The unbelief of Israel was God's saving plan to bring the gospel to the world. And then Israel will come back again. Now, one commentator shared this picture, and I found it, I found it very helpful. Again, just to, the same thing, right, from different, different perspectives of God's perfect plan. Here you have Israel, and kind of picturing them as a, as a group here in, in this cup. And mercy was offered to them. The, the gospel went to the Jews. Jesus came into Jerusalem and uh, saw whether they were going to believe and accept or trust in their Messiah or not. But they rejected the mercy that God offered. They kind of put a, a lid on things. Am I, am I good there? I'm not. Oh, no. I'm pausing here. Can't be. Anyway, they, they rejected it. And this is my this is my killer slide. <laughs> I can't pull the lid off. Their, their mercy was there. Oh, there we go. Okay, good, good. Something something slow, but we're we're coming here. But the the mercy went down into their cup, and they just said, "No, I don't want it," and they rejected it. And so what God did was the the mercy overflowed into the world, and into the world it went far beyond Israel, and and Israel was made jealous by grace, like. Romans 11, verse 12 speaks about, um, not, not verse 10, uh, verse 14. Somehow to make my Jews jealous, and, and in their jealousy, there's a, there's a softness to the gospel that an event mercy overflows into them, and then eventually it flows all over the world. That's exactly what he said twice 
He's going to say that again in our text here this morning. The terminology has changed. This morning we're going to see something more like this, that, that rather than stumbling and rejection, we see broken off. The, the Jews were broken off as in branches of a tree. And, and rather than salvation reconciliation, we see branches grafted in. And rather than riches and resurrection, we're going to see all Israel saved, all grafted in, which kind of extends past our text in verse 26. So let's, let's read our text this morning. I want to read Romans eleven sixteen to 24. And as I do, listen for these words, broken off. Listen for the words grafted in. Kids, on your notes, you can circle those words because that's one of your questions. Broken off, grafted in. Verse 16. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, Remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree. My message this morning is entitled Holy Branches. It comes from verse 16 in which Paul mentions the the holy branches. He uses here in verse 16 really two illustrations. The first is a a lump of dough in the first half. And the second is this illustration of, of branches attached to a root. And then he's going to take the second illustration and expand it for, from verses 17 to 24, whatever it is, four, eight, eight verses is going to expand that to. Um, but both these illustrations in verse 16 really just, just introduce the same idea. The dough illustration comes from deep in the Old Testament law from Numbers 15, um, where the Lord commanded his people, when they, when they come into the land and, and you have your harvest, when you have your harvest, take the first fruit of the harvest. And take your first wheat, form it into dough, and offer it before the Lord. Present it as a contribution to the Lord. And once that was done, then that essentially sanctified your whole loaf. It sanctified your whole harvest of your wheat. The people could eat of it because it was pure. Once the dough was offered, verse 16 says, and the first fruits is holy, the whole lump is holy as well. The root illustration, the second half of verse 16, is similar. If the root is holy, that is the root of a tree, then the branches are holy as well. In other words, the health of the branches depends on the health of the root. A bad root means bad branches, and a good root will lead to good branches. And both these illustrations, I think, are going back to Israel. They're going back to the Gentiles and their their relationship. And, And Paul's point is for the Gentiles to remember that their faith comes from the Jews, See, it's the Jew first and then to the Greek. And we must remember that, that Christianity is really built on the shoulders of Judaism. And Judaism is, if you will, the first fruits. And then everything comes from there. That is holy. And Judaism is the root. 
And we need never to forget that. And we're going to see that as, as we go on. But that's sort of a, a little way of introduction, a little way of segue in order to get to the illustration of my text. We're going to see the olive tree. And what we're going to see about this tree is that its branches are broken off and other branches grafted in. Time and time again, he's going to say this. Look at verse 17. But if the branches, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, Gentiles, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the olives, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it's not you who support the root, but the root supports you. And see, that's where he's tying it back to verse 16. It's, it's the root that's holy that supports you, and not you who support the root. So let's just go through this uh, imagery here. We have an olive tree. Right, strong and healthy, and the olive tree represents Israel, rooted in the, the promises of God. The, the trunk there, you might be the patriarchs, and the different branches might be the, the 12 tribes and the nations of Israel and, and, and branching out. But through their unbelief, some of the branches were, were broken off, and, and they were cast aside, and they were eventually destroyed. And then he had a sickly tree, which was Israel. But God didn't leave that tree sickly. Instead, in his place, he grafted in these these wild olive branches, which were a little bit different than the olive tree itself. Their branches are their leaves. You can tell are a little lighter. Maybe that comes out a a little bit. And the branches represent the Gentiles. That is the, the wild branches. And this is the illustration that Paul has in mind. And this is the illustration that we need to keep in mind. Natural branches broken off. Wild branches grafted in. To form the tree. Verse 17. If some of the branches were broken off. And you. Although wild olive shoot. Were grafted in. Among the others. And now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. And those branches that are, that are grafted in. Then get all the nutrients from the tree as well. This is a lesson from horticulture. So when it comes to horticulture in the Brandon house. I am by far not the expert. It is Yvonne who is the expert at horticulture in our house. She's got the green thumb. She knows more about flowers and shrubs than I do. Uh, I just know that we have some tulips and roses and mums. And we have a burning bush. That's all I know. We have a few burning bushes, and that's really all I know. We have some hostas. (laughs) We haven't talked about it ahead of time, but I I know you know all about it. You kind of design the landscaping, what we do. You know how to to trim the trees and how to make them so they bloom, the the shrubs, and make them so they bloom and fertilize them and... uh, know how to keep the tulips come up next spring and how to keep the, the roses to flourish and how to keep the mums coming up next spring. That's all I know. But she knows all. But one thing she doesn't know much about is grafting. I didn't know much about grafting either until this week. But since our text is speaking about grafting so much, I, I said, I need to learn about grafting. And, and so I called the nursery in town. And I said, do you do grafting? And uh, the gal on the other said, oh, no, we don't do that. It's quite a process. Um, other nurseries do that. And so I said, do you have any recommendation about who does that? She said, no, maybe try the suburbs. So I tried another nursery, and I said, do you do anything about grafting? And the gal on the other end, I, I think her name was Jessica, she said, yeah, we do. She said, let me give you your information, and I'll have someone get back to you. So she started taking my information, my, my phone, my, my name, and then she wanted my address. And uh, at that point, I had to stop and say, well... But let, let me explain why I, I want to learn about grafting. I don't have a, a tree to graft or anything like that. I'm a pastor of a church, and I'm preaching through the book of Romans. And I've come to the 11th chapter of the book, and it begins to talk about grafting into a, a tree. And he, he pictures the nation of Israel as a root, and through their unbelief, they were cut off 
but then Christian believers have been grafted into the root of the tree. And since I don't know anything about grafting, I was wondering if I could understand what that is because I just want to understand how that works. And, and so she brightened up. She was really eager to uh, talk to me about that. And she said, wow, that sounds interesting. She said, appropriately, I'll have a guy named Christian call you back. I was like, <laughs> I was like okay. So a few hours later, I received a call, but it wasn't from Christian. It was from Jessica she said, again. And she said, well, I, I misspoke. She said, uh, we don't do grafting, but I did some looking around for you. And so she was on the phone calling around to different nurseries and stuff. And she said, uh, I called one nursery. She gave me the number and she said, ask for Mike. And so I said, okay. So I, I called and I, I talked with Mike and I said, hey, this is Steve. I was given your, your number because I was told you do tree grafting. Is that right? He said, yep. I said, so I went through my whole routine. I'm a pastor of a church. I'm preaching through Romans. And uh, Romans talks about this tree, which represents Israel. But because they didn't believe in the Messiah, Jesus, they had branches cut off and they were, were cut off. But Christians who believe were grafted into the tree to show their promises that they were a part of the promises of, of Israel. And uh, they put back in the tree. And I don't know anything about grafting. And I was wondering if, if you might have some time to explain it to me. Maybe show, show me some examples of how it is. I mean, could you do this? And Mike was very willing. He's, he's kind of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who else who does grafting gets calls from people like really interested in looking at their grafting? So, was it, so we figured a time the next day. Next day I arrived at the nursery, and Mike took me out to show the process. So he took me out to, and it wasn't a green room. It was kind of more of a, just a, a hooded thing like this. And here's a picture of what he said. He said, uh, well, normally we take a small seedling that's, that's very young off, off a tree, and then we, we, we cut the small branch. So we take the small seedling, right, from a from seed that's been grown up. And then we take the small branch from another tree that we want to graft in. And uh, he didn't show me exactly, but kind of he, he puts it in sideways and kind of just shoves it in there. And then he puts some, some tape around it, and then he waits. And you can see there on the, on the right, he's got the plant that he's um, grafted in. And he's got the, the other root there. And, and I asked him how much of this he does. He does uh, hundreds every year. And... And he just kind of, almost all of their trees, he said maybe 75% of their trees are, are grafted trees, just like this. And if all goes well, the, the grafted branch then will attach itself to the root of the system of the uh, original seedling. And uh, then after a year or two, he's going to cut off the original seedling. So you can see there that is, he's ready to snip. So you've got the, the, the graft going up this way and the normal, the, the root that was there, there. And then he, he snipped it off. And that's what it looks like. And he showed me, he showed me then lots of pictures of, or lots of examples of, of roots that had come up. And then here's, here's one grafted off. Um, and he said, the reason why we do this is because some of the tree varieties are very difficult to grow from seeds. Just their, their root system is, is so weak. So we take off a branch from a tree we want to grow and we, tratch, we attach it to a tree with, with healthy roots. And so it's really interesting. Oftentimes it's a mutation. Like sometimes he showed me, um, then he pulled up on his phone, he showed me online like a, an evergreen tree that, you know, normally they're, they're spindly, but then there's, there's one, there's a bunch of evergreen stuff. And so they, they clip that off because there's a bunch of evergreen characteristics like that. And then they put it in a good one. And so it forms a Christmas trees. Christmas trees are, are grafted in. So they, they grow really dense is, is what he says. And so we're going to need to attach it to this healthy root. Um, oftentimes some... Uh, um, some weeping willows or some, some whatever, weeping sort of trees uh, work like that. And they, they like to graft in similar trees, pine trees to pine trees and oak trees to oak trees and maple trees to maple trees, spruce trees to spruce trees, because it just, there, there's enough similarity there that it, that it works better. 
Um, and, and so here's a, here's a picture of, uh, of different kinds, and there's another kind right there. He said, and then, and then at one point he said, here, let's go outside. I, I got a good example. And so he took me outside and led me down this path, and along the road, that's when we had a good and profitable talk. Because he asked about our church, and I explained who we were, what about. I, I went through my spiel again in Romans chapter 11, and how Israel right, rejected their Messiah, but the Christians who believed were, were grafted back in, and... Um, and I just, you know, explained how all of us, right, are there and we're, we're dead in our sin and we need to believe in Jesus in order to be attached to the root of the tree and connected to God. And I, I asked him if he goes to church or not. And he says he's gone to church his whole life. And yet he didn't really know what Romans was a book of the Bible. So you can obviously tell what sort of church he's at. And I, he was really open to spiritual things. I asked him about it. He's got a child and thinking about family worship. I just encouraged him, just read the Bible with your child. It's going to make a big difference in your life, in their life. And he says, I think about it all the time. I think about it every day about that. And I just said, encourage him, invite him to church. Come to a place where people are trying to do that, trying to raise their children in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And so I invited him to come and learn. But I'm not exactly sure uh, where he is with that, but it's a good time. And then we transitioned, and, and then he pointed to me this tree. He, he said, um, here's a tree that I, I think is very interesting. He says, the root is called a paper bark maple but grafted in was a shoot from a, a Miko maple tree. And, and he didn't like how the tree looked, but obviously you can see just right there where it was grafted in and where it eventually grew up. You've got the, um, the, the paper bark on the bottom, and on top of that you have your Miko uh, maple on the top, which is good for appearance and, and things like that. And um, I asked him about fruit trees, which I think is maybe more the illustration what Paul's talking about with the the wild olives, and he says, no, we don't do that. But, but we, we, we're more ornamental in his nursery. But the process is, is much the same, but you'd take it on a little bit later. Um, but after a bit more time, went back to the shop, thanked him for his time, we parted ways. I was kind of hoping he'd be here this morning. I'm not sure if he is, he's out there or not. But we parted ways, but that's the picture that teaches us about our text. It's the illustration. It's been broken off, grafted in, and now we transition to the application and it comes in verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it's not you who support the root, but the root supports you. And the application here is don't be arrogant. See, when it comes to salvation in Jesus, there's no room for arrogance. There's no room for pride and prejudice against Jewish people. See, our Bible consists of two parts, right? we got the Old Testament, we got the New Testament. The Old Testament is where God made all these promises to Israel. And the New Testament is where God shows how he kept the promises. But the promises are kept to us, right? It, it, the first part shows how, how God can be the God of, of Israel, how he will be their God and they will be his people. And the, and the second part shows how it's through faith we we come to be part of the people of God through faith in Jesus being right and reconciled to God. And they're together. And we ought not to be arrogant against the Jews. To be arrogant to the Jews is like cutting off the branch you're sitting on. It's like stupidity. Next week we'll talk about some anti-Semitism that Christians have shown, which is so wrong because it says in verse 28, with regards to the gospel, they're enemies. But regards election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. And many Christians have wrongly responded to the Jewish people. Now, for those in Rome, this is a real 
genuine application. Now, we don't know what the demographics of the church was exactly like, but there were lots of Jews and lots of Gentiles. Maybe it was 50-50, 60-40, 70-30. I don't exactly know, but a good chunk of the, uh, the congregation was Jews. In chapter 14, Paul's going to begin addressing some of these, these delicate issues, like what kind of diet should you keep? Are all foods clean, or should we keep the Old Testament laws, the dietary laws? Or, or the days. What about the Sabbath days, the special day? What was rest look like? Or is every day alike given to the Lord? And, and he addresses that because there's conflict and there was tension in this church and he wanted them to be together. And here's Paul in our passage exhorting the Gentiles not to right, despise the Jews, not to be proud, not to be arrogant towards them. Now, for us, a different application. The application is, okay, all the Jewish people in here, don't be arrogant towards them because we only have a few. One, maybe more. Um, not very many. But the application of humility stands. You see, it, it's so easy for us in the church who have the truth, who have our eyes opened, to look on those outside and see them as unholy sinners, ones who don't believe. But look at how good we are. We're here. We're, we're God's people. As a church family, such an attitude betrays our heritage. I mean, do you really think you're better than anybody else? Do you really think that? See, the gospel tells us otherwise. tells us that we're all sinners. We all need God's grace. We all need to be made right with the Lord through Christ. Not because of anything we do, but because of God's grace, His favor upon our lives. And it didn't come because we were good enough to help ourselves. It didn't come because we were righteous. It came because God was gracious. And He brought us into His family. And I just say, church family, never forget that. Never forget that. And may arrogance and pride be removed from us. I think uh, especially, you think about several of the kids' club parents talked about coming in. Think about what sort of reception will they have at our church? Will there be a prideful reception? Will there be a gracious acceptance of bringing them in to help them see and know the blessings of the gospel of Christ? And I, I just say this, is that arrogance and pride should, should be far from us. Instead, we should who believed in Christ, received the love of God, freely extend it to others. So Paul is encouraging here, don't be arrogant towards the Jews, right? But the implication is to love them, embrace them. You're not better than they. In fact, if anything, they're better than you because they're the root that supports you. Well, let's move on. In verse 16, we, 17, we saw Paul returning the illustration of, uh, uh, verse 19 rather, Paul's returning to the illustration of the olive tree. Here he goes. Then you will say, This is kind of counter-argument a little bit. Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. It's a response of pride. Yes, it's true. Dead theology, exactly right. They were broken off so that I might be grafted in. But but there's an underlying current here of pride. They were bad because they got cut off, but I was good. Because I was grafted in. And Paul says, no, that's not how you should think. He says in verse 20, he says, that is true. Your theology is right. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. But here it is. Don't become proud. Don't become proud. But fear. It's right here that another application comes. Really the same application. He said it twice. Don't be arrogant in uh, verse 18. Don't be proud in verse 19. It's the application again. And, and so, sadly, so oftentimes those who have right theology are prideful people. 
and especially those who embrace the doctrines of grace, Romans 9 through 11, because we have insight into the plan of God that, that our salvation comes totally from him. Because he foreknew us before the foundation of the world. And he predestined us before the foundation of the world. That, that we know this and we believe this. We accept it. We see the, the sovereignty of God over all things. We embrace it. We say it's all, it's all about him. And, and that, is, that is some knowledge about theology a lot of people reject and don't like. But it's clear. Romans 9 through 11 is clear. We see it. We embrace it. And what oftentimes happens is there's pride there. Because I see and know what is clear, which I know to be true, but... You don't see it, but I see it. And sadly, the very doctrine that is to totally humble us becomes the very doctrine that so many people are so prideful about. Our salvation is totally a gift, totally undeserved, totally from the Lord. And though it's supposed to humble us, it often forms the opposite. There's a pride like just because we can understand Paul's point, we can, we can easily drift into thinking that, oh, our theology is right, therefore we're godly, missing the fact that it's love that forms godliness. When we think that we have insight into the character of God that others don't have, it lifts us up rather than humbling us to realize that we stand before God. And Paul says, stand before God apart from us. And Paul says, do not become proud and that's my prayer. So we work through Romans 9 through 11, that that's who we would be, that we'd be drawn to humility and not pride, to realize that just like Jacob's salvation, it wasn't because of him. In fact, if you look at the life of Jacob and Esau, you might argue that Esau was more godly than Jacob. But it's all by grace. And may Romans 9 through 11 draw us to humility, humility that God has, has chosen us by his grace, that might not make us proud, but thankful and loving. Well, there's a second part to Paul's application when he says in verse 20, he says, so do not become proud, here it is, but fear. Fear, right? How's that, how's that get in there, right? The, the arrogance, trust in yourself, and fear fears the Lord. He says this, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Just think about this, okay? This will humble you. This will fear you. Israel received the great promises of God. He says in chapter 9 and verse 4, Paul quickly describes them. I'll just use his terminology. They is are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the promises. But see, when they failed to believe, as it says in verse 20, they were broken off because of their unbelief. God cut them off. And here's the, here's the fearful thing, is that we believing Gentiles have similar privileges that the Jews had. No, not similar. We have the exact same privileges as the Jews because through faith we become children of Abraham. Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So in other words, if we, are, if we believe and trust in Christ, we become part of the tree and we are every bit part of the tree, every bar, bit a son of Abraham, as your Jewish, most Jewish Jew you know. And that means that Romans 9 and verse 4 can read, not they are Israelites, but we have the promises given to the Israelites that to us belong the adoption, to us belongs the glory and the covenants and the law and the worship and the promises. 
We are there. And so here's why you need to fear is because, verse 21, if God didn't spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Church family, don't ever come to the place you think that you deserve anything from God. All we have is by his mercy and all we have is by his grace. And, and, and the Jews, you remember, they, they lost that perspective. At the end of chapter 9, it speaks about how they were pursuing their own righteousness, right? They, they pursued the law to lead to righteousness because they didn't realize it all comes from mercy. But the chosen people, they're, they're working towards it. They were measuring their righteousness in some way, having a zeal for God, even what chapter 10 and verse 2 says. Trying to get their own righteousness, but that's where they were struck down. I just need to say this, is that we need to continue to believe that it's not us, but it's entirely with God. That's why my application is this, really. Fear with faith, because faith was a thing that cut them off, and faith is a thing that will keep us. Note well, verse 22, note then the kindness and the severity of God. So oftentimes people think that God is just one one emotion or one... No, here he's got two. He's, He's kindness and severe. He's kind to some, and he is severe with others. He says, severity towards those who have fallen, that is, who have not believed, but God's kindness to you, his kindness to you who have believed. And says, God's kindness to you will continue, provided you continue in his kindness. And if you don't continue in God's kindness, you will be cut off. There's the warning. So again, Paul goes back to this illustration. He goes back to the olive tree. And this is where I left you last, is that you got the, the branches, and Israel grew up, but Israel is on the ground because they have been cut off. Severe punishment comes to those who don't believe, but God's kindness to us. And by, by faith, we're part of that tree. And we'll continue to be part of that tree as long as we continue in the kindness of God, as we continue trusting God for His grace and His goodness. But if we fall, and if we fail to continue in God's kindness, just as He cut off Israel, He can cut off us as well. And that's what you say. Steve, does this mean we can lose our salvation? <laughs> no. It's not what this is saying. It's the message of Romans 9-11 through 11 is that God's people will be saved. The elect, like I said, chapter 11, verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, but he says the elect obtained it. The rest were hardened. So the, the elect are secure in the sovereign hand of God, foreknown before the foundation of the world, predestined and called and justified and glorified. There, there is there. But those who know His grace will continue in faith because genuine faith is enduring faith. And that's the idea here. Continuing in His kindness, that means continuing in His faith. But if we fail to believe, God is fully capable of lopping us off and cutting bring in some others. And, and so also I think there's an application here more, more global in scale. We're talking about Israel as a country. We're talking about Israel as a people. And by, by in large measure now, they are hardened. Last week, chapter 11 and verse 8, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. God has hardened them. Israel is not, not in right now. Oh, there's a remnant. There are some Israelites, but Israel's not in right now. In America, I mean, we've been blessed by God in, in great ways. It's come through the strength of, the, of the, the core push of Christianity from our foundation. I'm not saying the founding fathers were all, all Christians or anything like that, but many people seeking religious freedom, seeking to establish a new England here, seeking to, to go by the providence of God to establish a new world, 
done following after the ways of God. And without question, God has blessed America more than any nation in the world. I mean, we stand number one in the, in the world about sending out missionaries because of our wealth and because of our Christian uh, influence. But our culture is turning. It's going a, a, away. Our, our, our churches are in decline. Fewer Americans are, are really genuinely believing in the Lord today. And, and, and God can easily lop off America so that we become a totally pagan nation. That is so easy. It's so easy for him to take plants and, and, and trees and branches, wild branches from China and plug them in and from India and plug them in. I mean, the church is spreading like wildfire in China. I'm not sure you remember, but the whole story of the Boxer Rebellion, when the, when the missionaries were cast out of China. They had been there for some time with China Inland Mission. They'd been ministering to the people in China. And China said, no, we don't want that, uh, that uh, Western influence anymore. We don't want that Christian influence anymore. And so they, 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 they caught them out. And, and we in America were like, I wonder how the church is doing. They don't have the missionaries. And if they don't have the missionaries, how's the church going to flourish? How's it going to go? And you know what God did, right? The church was way stronger without the missionaries than they ever were with the missionaries. It's because God is doing what he, he does. He can bring as many branches as he wants back in from China and the in the South America, the, the gospel is spreading like wildfire and it's going well in uh, other places as well. America can easily be replaced. Just like Israel was, America can easily. But God's olive tree will stand. He'll have enough branches that he'll be able to put into his tree exactly according to the plan. In fact, this is what God alludes to, Paul does, the restoration of Israel in verses 23 and 24. And even if they, that is Israel, if they do not, con- if they do not continue on their, uh, if they do not continue in their unbelief, that's a double negative. That is, if they come to faith, they will be grafted in, right? Because all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans ten and verse thirteen. So if Israel turns to the point where they call upon the name of the Lord, they will be grafted right back in again. God has the power, as it says. To graft them in again. And here you see a tree which is mostly green and a a little bit yellow. There it is. God grafting them back in. Not only does God have the power to do so. It's easy for God to bring the Jews back into the tree. Look at verse 24. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree. And grafted contrary to nature. Into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive trees? See, the Gentiles here are called wild branches. They were contrary to nature. It is more difficult to get wild branches into the tree than it is to get natural branches back into the tree. That's why my friend at the nursery told me that they like to graft similar trees Because similar trees function in a similar way, whether it's an evergreen or whether it's a deciduous tree. It's easier to graft a pine tree into a pine tree. It's difficult, maybe impossible, I don't don't know enough about grafting, to to graft a pine tree into a maple root. They don't do that, it's just so difficult. I don't even know if if it works. But bringing back natural branches is very easy. And that's what Paul says. How easy is that to do for God to bring Israel back? And in fact, that is his plan. Next week, we're going to look at verse 25 and 26. Lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. 
And again, get, get that picture, right? The, the mercy coming to Israel, they rejected it. The fullness of the Gentiles, when that reaches its peak and Israel is jealous, then all Israel will be saved as they come and receive the mercy. The deliverer will come from Zion. He'll banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. See, God's plan is for a restored olive tree that is Jewish, that is Israeli, that is back with the people of God that he promised. And that's why God's word has not failed. Oh, Israel's not believing now, but they will believe. Verse 26 says, all Israel will be saved. And this is all part of God's perfect saving plan. And I just say to us, may we not be wise in our own sight to think we have it figured out. May we instead be holy branches, verse 16, right? The, the root is holy. These are the promises of God, so the branches are holy also. It's our hope. It's our application. So don't be proud, but fear lest we fall away from faith and believing and trusting in Christ. So let's pray together. Father, this is deep. This is deep truth, deep theology. I I pray in your grace. I've sought to make things as simple in my mind as possible to pass them on. I pray that we might see and understand just your saving plan. It's not not out of uh, your power. Nothing has slipped by the way. God, the world is going exactly according to plan, and I simply pray by your grace, God, that we would be part of that plan. So we believe and, and trust in you. And for those who don't believe, God, for those who God, are, are cut off, God, I pray in your grace. Even it says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be grafted back into that tree. God, I would pray that that would take place. God, that we would see here at Rock Valley Bible Church, many come to faith in Christ. God, we would pray for each of us that we would God, just have a, a zeal and desire to, to know Christ and to make him known. God, just in inviting others, putting spiritual truth before them. God, that we might see the grafting process that, that I saw, not, not at the nursery, God, but with real lives and real people being grafted in, being part of the tree, and growing to be healthy believers in Christ, to eventually be part of that great chorus that Darren read for us, singing the Alleluia, Alleluia, the Lord God Almighty reigns. God, being part of that multitude. God, so bless us, we pray. Humble us, we pray. God, show us your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.